0: Major Jonathan Turnbull, thank you so much for coming on We're Off Script today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: And more importantly, thank you so much for your service. Oh, thank you. Wednesday, January 16th, 2019. That was a day that changed
1: your life. They sent a suicide bomber. I had my right eye. Uh, you can see the, the bandages over it.
0: You lost your best friends. You lost your vision. But what would you say that you gained that day?
1: ISIS took my eyesight away from me. But I now have vision. Um, I see how we can help the world, make the world a better place.
0: It truly is an honor to be talking to you today, Jonathan. You are so inspiring in so many ways. I would love to get right into your story. So on Wednesday, January sixteenth, 2019, that was a day that changed your life. I would love to hear as much or as little as you're willing to share about that day, any and all details, what you were doing in Syria.
1: I decided to join the army uh, on September 11th in 2001 uh, after our nation was attacked. I remember everybody has their story. Everybody remembers where they were, what they were doing that day. I was a lifeguard working in our local pool. My boss comes running in and says, Jonathan, get into my room right now, my office. So, you know, I picked up my seat and I started walking there. I had the list in my head, everything I've done wrong, <laughs> N- you know, numerical, alphabetical, categorized it uh, as, you know, the grave offense first. I was like, man, I'm in trouble, I'm probably getting fired. What did I do? I walk into her office and I wasn't in trouble. We were in trouble. Um, on her desk, she had a little TV and on it was Fox News, in which case it was showing just at that time, the second airplane hit the uh, second tower and I watched it crumble the talking heads came on and said, America is at war. Somebody's attacked us. 2001, I was a, uh, just a high schooler going through, you know, living my life, plans of college. I was going to have fun. But that moment, I realized how much we have here and how amazing America is. The freedom, our, the justice, all these things that make us Americans and make us America. And I decided, I was like, I'm going to do something about this. People can't attack us. I'm not going to let this stand. I will stand up. So I did just that. I stood up. I raised my right hand, and I swore to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies foreign and domestic, bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Uh, an oath that I, this first oath I've ever taken in my life, and it's an oath that will uh, be in my heart and in my soul until the day I die. So I decided to join the Army in 2001. I did went and spoke to a recruiter. Now uh, my my junior year in high school, and went down to Detroit, where it was uh, a military entrance program, M.E.P.S. And there, that's when I did my, you know, I swore to support and defend the Constitution. And I came back home, and I was all excited. I had done it. I was going to be an American soldier. I was going to defend freedom, promote justice, not just in the United States, but across the world. I told my dad about it, and my mom and dad didn't know I was even going down there, so they were surprised. And like many parents did, they sat me down. They're like, let's talk about this a little bit. Is this the right direction you want to go? Which, I mean, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. I had no doubts, no back, you know, um, backpedaling. And if you know, I was like, I'm doing this. It's like, we want you to be back and be all that you can be. (laughs) Former slogan. But uh, aim high. Uh, They convinced me to apply to the United States Military Academy at West Point. Um, a very selective uh, university. I applied, I had their good grades, the right marks, I had the right essays, turned them all in, and I received a nomination from one of our congressmen and found myself standing um, at the uh, United States Military Academy at West Point in New York uh, for my freshman year of college. Well, I spent five years at the Military Academy Four-year institution. I understand. It's so much fun. I did an extra year, not because it was fun. Um, <laughs> it was tough, uh, and I loved it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved every second of it. Learning how to be a great leader, um, being taught by, you know, being taught by history or t- history by individuals that have made history. Uh, such such great historical background of the United States Military Academy. Graduated in two thousand and ten, uh, and was commissioned a second lieutenant and officer in the United States Army. Uh, a few days after that, I married my beautiful uh, girlfriend, now my wife uh, Samantha, who was my uh, high school sweetheart. Aww. Yeah, we—they talk about one uh, percent. It's one percent or two percent. Now she'll beat me up, but working girls—one percent. After this, yep, that's right. <laughs> I'm in trouble. One percent of cadets that show up or individuals that show up dating somebody or main dating through the end of west point it's just so difficult i mean you don't you can't write or you can write home you don't get to go home often you uh it's don't she didn't get to visit we got to see each other maybe two times a year uh while i was in school so it it was really difficult but we got married um after i graduated and we started our army career together i was commissioned an armor officer so i got to hang out on tanks which are really cool Um, why walk when you can throw all your heavy stuff on the back of a tank and drive and it has got a big gun so I was really cool Um, went to my first duty station was 3rd Infantry Division down in Fort Stewart Georgia we moved down there 9 months from that after we were married after we were into the army we welcomed into the world our oldest son his name is Ian I remember being 9 months because yeah. You know how things work. Yeah. Oh, nine months. But while I was sitting there, you know, patting my wife's head, telling her good job. And we had our baby boy with us. My phone rang and it was my boss. So he said, John, pack your bags. I'm like, where are we going? He's like, we're going to Afghanistan. I'm like, that's cool. Uh, I can be ready and, you know, give me a couple months and I'll be ready. He's like, tomorrow. I'm like, uh, give me a couple weeks. We settled on five days. Five days from the time my son was born. um, I was on an airplane heading to Afghanistan for nine months. Beautiful mission. Uh, We did a a lot of good. So I left for six months to the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan um, on preparing for the counter-ISIS fight to prevent ISIS from infiltrating the uh, Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. I was gone for six months. This is 2015. I came home. 2016, I deployed for a few weeks to uh, Lebanon the uh, on the westernmost border of Syria. Again, counter-ISIS fight, preventing ISIS from getting gaining access into Lebanon. Came home, and then guess what I did? I deployed again for six months to back to Jordan. Um, I guess I did such a great job the first time they wanted me back.
0: How long were you home for?
1: When I would get back home, uh, we tried to do two nights or two days home for every day deployed. So typically I would, for a six month deployment, I would come home and I'd be home for one year. And it was just about that one year. And I was back out the door. Um, uh, Lebanon, I was there for three weeks. So about, I was home for about six weeks. And was that back.
0: like when you come home and you see Samantha and you see your beautiful baby boy, what was that like even just the first time that you came
1: home? <laughs> oh, it's, it's probably one of the, the best feelings in the world. I mean, you're, surrounded by your guys, your soldiers and um not just guys, but I mean we had young ladies on our teams and uh, a bunch of it, it wonderful experience and I love it. Uh being close to people. I mean you get to see everybody in their, you know, their best and their worst, sure. which more their worst than the best. So over there, plus you're you know, you're in a fight, so you're worried much more worried than I am in Flint. Um, but, uh, you're worried every day. Am I going to survive today? If the mission goes bad, you know, will my family survive? Uh, more importantly, is that family connection? Like, are my, is my family safe back home while I'm gone? You know, is, is my wife able to pay the bills? Is she able to get our kids to school and back and make dinner and all these things that I would help out with? So worry quite a bit about that. So when you get back home, it's Right. And, you know, walking through the doors, you know, you get your passport stamped. Uh, on, in special operations, you, I mean, travel on passport, not big military uh, airplanes. But I Kate would come home, get my passport stamped, walk through the line. And there at the other end, you know, on the other end of the glass doors would be a beautiful woman and little kids holding signs saying, welcome home, you know, re- report for booty or... <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of silly things they had. Um, <laughs> You know get over here and kiss mama, my Mm -hmm. mom, or things, things, wonderful signs. And it, and it was great because the, you know, that your kids get to see you. And I mean, a lot of my soldiers would have children on the deployments. So they'd never even seen their babies. And, you know, you come home and it's their first time getting to see the baby. Oh, it's just such a magical experience, but it is very much. So daddy's home, I've got this. And you fall back into that rhythm and you know, where everything is back to normal and it feels great.
0: And then you get sent out. Again. And then,
1: yeah. And then a few short days after that, you get, you get orders to deploy again and then you get to come home. Hey hon, uh So I'm leaving again. So that was, and that was the nature of the beast. I mean, from Afghanistan, went to Jordan, then Lebanon, then Jordan. So out of that, you're looking at uh, two years out of four, my first four years in the army, um, two years of them, I was deployed. And, That leads up to, as you're counting in your head, um, on and off. It just kept being this on and off, uh, back and forth, back and forth, uh, until September of 2018 was my final deployment. Uh, We got orders, and it was real quick. Like, hey, we got a snap snap mission. Like, can you jump right now and go? And I had a team ready to go, and we're like, yep, we're ready to go. Went and kissed my wife and said, all right, this is it. I decided I was going to be done with the Army after this. Uh, so I said, all right, this is going to be our last mission. We go through, walked through some metal detectors, which is always fun when, you know, you have your guns and yeah. your knives and body armor and you walk through metal detectors. What do you got on? You know, I felt like in the Matrix, where it, Like Neo shows all of his guns and I mean, he was pretty cool. Well, that was us. So we're like, well, we've got all this stuff. And like, all right, get on the plane. So we got on the airplane and, you know, we're talking to, there was about 10 of us that were going on this team. and. We're like, hey guys, we'll be back in six months, max. You know, it's an easy mission. We're gonna have fun going to Iraq. We'll be good. Like, we'll just you know, we said our goodbyes. Go to Germany, then Iraq. My job was to focus on civil, the civil domain, um, like civil infrastructure, critical vulnerabilities of the people. After about two weeks of this, my boss uh, did an on order mission for me. So while I was briefing him, he's like, "Hey, I need you to go." I was like, where am I going? <laughs> okay. Uh, he said, I need you to go to Syria. Put a team together. I want you to do something cool. What's that, sir? It's like, I want you to defeat ISIS. At this time, I'll let you know I'm 33 years old. I have a bachelor's degree from West Point. It's not bad in map making. Let me tell you what I know about defeating a terrorist organization. Oh, uh, okay. But he's like, we're going to put together a team. It's going to be you know, a team of... Uh, Great individuals that will help. I will put it together. Uh, the team became known as Cross Functional Team, Manbij. ManBidge was the location. Uh, cross Functional Team means just that we had cross functions. I had three special forces soldiers on my team. The guys that, if John Wayne were still around and he made another Green Beret movie, he'd portray all three of these guys. Like they were, you know, big, beefy, muscular. I'm pretty sure they chewed on nails just for fun <laughs> um you know they they definitely ate their vegetables um this i had three special forces guys i i was a civil affairs guy so civil domain i had a couple psychological operations guys uh imagine them as like psychiatrists or um behavioral health individuals people that get into your head they when i would brief the impact on the people they would impact the impact on the people's psyches It's great to have around. I had a young woman uh, who was a chief petty officer, naval intelligence. She was also a cryptologist, which means she spoke, at the time, all the languages uh, that we needed. But She spoke Arabic better than the other individual on our team. We had a translator, cultural advisor, um, but our chief petty officer, naval intelligence cryptologist, Spoke better Arabic than our interpreter did. Just talking about the caliber of training that this woman had. And then, even cooler than we got her bodyguard with us. Okay. And he was a Navy SEAL. Like, not, you know, Special Forces is really cool. And I'll admit it. Like, they're the coolest of the cool. But even cooler, Navy SEALs. This guy was, like, everything you read about Navy SEALs was this guy. Like, just an amazing individual muscular tattoos up his arms, really great guy, loved America and loved what he did. And we'd successfully removed ISIS control doing three simple things. We had three really good missions. The first one, we um, did a rehabilitation, a refurbishment of a hydroelectric dam in a place called Tashreen. The second thing was uh, within the health sector, the they didn't have like what we think of as, you know, good hospitals, medical clinics, and things within my province of Manbij. So we rebuilt a three-story hospital um, that became known as the hospitable, Hospital Euphrates, Masteshwa Farat in Arabic. Um, we just call it Farat Hospital. And uh, focused on two really big things. The first one was an OBGYN capacity. Second thing we did and this comes to play with uh, what we'll talk about next, was an ER. So we, we focused on enhancing their operating room, their OR within the ER. And also we identified that they didn't have a mode of transportation. Like here in the United States, you're in a car accident, you break your leg falling off your bike or horse or what have you. What do we do? You call 911. Right. Ambulance shows up. You, you jump in the, the back. Pa- paramedics fix you up patch you up you go to the hospital you're good to go mm-hmm. god bless our uh, first responders Absolutely. they're all you know top-notch best people that you know keep america running so they didn't have ambulances there so working with coalition partners um in particular the germans and the british the germans uh provided us with 20 brand new uh state-of-the-art ambulance ambulance eye Ambulances? Yeah, what? What, Whatever <laughs> what you call it.
0: Plural? We don't Where, know. <laughs> Yeah.
1: 20 singular ambulance um, for my region to work out of this, the Masteshwa Frat, so the Frat Hospital. Um, and the British, seeing this, they wanted a piece of the pie too. They're like, oh, we're going to help out. We're going to beat the Germans. So they provided all the medical equipment to go in the ambulances along with um, the operating room. Things. In, in my simplistic mind, not being a doctor, being a professional soldier, they had ultrasound machines, x-ray machines, and surgical equipment uh, to help out within their ER, but they didn't stop with that. They asked me, uh, so in conversations back and forth, what else could they do? I was like, can you send trainers, send doctors, send nurses over to help train the uh, local Syrian doctors on how to use this stuff? So we set up a really good training program, and it was great. So it's a complete overhaul of the um, health sector there. And the third, and my most favorite, and I'll get all gushy about it uh, because it's freedom. I talked about I joined the army to uh, promote freedom and defend the helpless, avenge that that could not be defended. Uh, you know, give people a leg to stand up on. Uh, we were working in the education se- sector, I was going through schools, doing assessments, identifying ways I could help out in schools. Young ladies were prohibited from attending any form of formal education. So the girls couldn't go to school. Um, it wasn't just college, it wasn't high school. They couldn't even go to like primary school, kindergarten, none of this stuff. So we did a big pro- program with uh, the state, you know, United States State Department who provided and uh, I believe it was about two million dollars worth of school supplies, backpacks, papers, pencils, calculators. Oh, they, the kids love the calculators. They ran around, I meant... acted like they were cell phones. <laughs> uh, Little thing. But I can never hear them on it. <laughs> but <laughs> um,
0: transfer it and go through.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Can you hear me now? Nope. All right. Well, let me hit the four like three more times. All right. But uh so we provide these backpacks. And on November 15th, 2018, we opened up the doors. November 15th, very big day, especially for all your listeners in Michigan, because we all know this is a national, well, state holiday, opening day of deer season. Yep. Um, no school. No school. Except it, so it was a big deal here in Michigan, for sure. I loved it. But, you know, it took on a new meaning when we opened these doors up, and it was a tidal wave. We had instantly 4,500 young ladies decided that they would stand tall in the face of tyranny, in face of this uh, ISIS, this terrorist organization, and tell them, You told me I can't do this, but with our government here, with coalition partners here, I'm going to do this. Uh, 4,500 girls on November 15th, 2018, returned to school, according to the statistics given to us by the education director. At the Syrian Democratic Council. And it was beautiful because uh, it spread like wildfire. Um, Currently today, I believe last time I spoke to some of my friends that are overseas girls can go to school in syria like they would go around and i couldn't tell you how many people would come to us and just thank us i loved especially the young ladies girls would come over to me and they just give me big hugs and they tell me thank you so much for making me safe at school and protecting me at home thank you for giving us electricity and for making it so when i get a boo-boo and i get sick i can go see a doctor it was i mean it was a success America, we had won. It was a great day. Um, and this leads up to January 16th, 2019. Uh, a day after I was supposed to have returned home, um, January 15th was my end of my deployment. I was supposed to return home. My boss was so excited by everything we were doing, was like, do you mind staying a couple extra months? And with what we were doing, we were changing the world. Um, we were We were doing exactly everything that I'd wanted to do By joining the army so i called my wife and she always remember the phone call hey hon remember how i was supposed to be home tomorrow yeah give it another four months let's look at you know the first of april no april fool's jokes but i'm going to stick around and make sure that people are good that way i can step away and you know like we can as america as coalition we can step away and they can take care of business Uh, which I think was the right choice uh, made by president at the time. They wanted us to do just that. I mean, president Trump had already announced the withdrawal from the fighting against the Islamic state, ISIS. And said, Hey, we are going to be leaving Let's set them up for success. Let's not just leave them on a whim. Um, So that being said, I told my wife, Hey, I'm going to stay a few extra days. Uh, That the night of January 15th, 2019, I texted her, Hey babe, uh, Something as simple as, I think we know where the bad guys are. We're going to investigate tomorrow. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. God's got this. And his send, um, and I told her I was going into the village or city of Manbij to find ISIS. Uh, we set up cameras so we're going to go check our cameras. It's going to be an easy day. We went to one of the schools. The school's name is Ramadan Haju School. It was a school that opened its doors to young ladies so that was one of our, the last stops for the day. We walked through a bazaar, so a free market, just checking on people, welfare, like everything's good. Nope. Yep. Everything's good. Has anybody bothered you? You know, terrace around? Nope. Okay, good. So we went to the school and the girls were so happy. I, like, I love going there. Uh, we'd go to their English class and it was fun. I speak about a kindergartner's level worth of Arabic so I could practice my Arabic. They got to practice their English. They learned uh, you know, really difficult phrases that we use in America, like, what up? And <laughs> how's it going? And I had to, my most fun lesson was teaching what does the word y'all mean? Great. And I say this, you know, to be lighthearted because we ask them difficult questions uh, Has anybody tried to stop you from coming to school? Is anybody out there trying to hurt you or bully you or are there mean people around? Good questions for soldiers to know because, you know, knight in shining armor that I want to be, you know, we, you know, the American, you know, American soldier, somebody's trying to hurt you. You tell me and I will stop it. Um, beautiful day. There was all those answers were no. We loved school. I remember being like, we love this. We love coming to school. Nobody's trying to stop us. We're learning to read. We're learning to write our numbers. Like all intents, it was a win. We had it, a win in our books. We had left school that day and I called up a quick powwow in front of my vehicle before we jumped in our vehicles to go back home. We do a quick thing called a patrol brief. Uh, You know, I'd say something as simple as, Lauren, you're in the first vehicle. I'm the second vehicle. Samantha's driving my vehicle. I'm going to play with the radio. Easy enough. But we're going to, you know, this veteran park. We're going to be there at this time. This is what we're doing there. Um, If we get separated along the way, you know, you pull off to the side of the road go slow. We'll catch up, flash the lights, and we'll go. Uh, While we were doing this, uh, ISIS decided to attack us just in this moment of uh, it was just a right time, right place for them to sneak up on us. Um, They sent a suicide bomber, so a guy was wearing an explosive vest, ran up to my group, and right as I, I finished the briefing, I was like, all right, let's jump in our vehicles, let's get out of here. I got ready to get into our vehicle when... My linguist, her name was Gadir. Uh, Gadir to hear, we referred to her as Jasmine because her parents called her Jasmine. She kind of looked like the Aladdin princess. Um, she saw this individual run up and knew it was there's a danger. There's something's going on, something bad. So, um, excuse me, I get choked up talking about it. But um, something's going on. John, look, we had we have a control word, something like contact. So that, that alerts me immediately. Boom, something's going on. You know, draw your firearm, assess, analyze, identify the threat, and make a call. Um, you know, it's orient, observe, decide, and act. Uh, it's called an OODA loop. Uh, we do it in the Army. Something simple. So I turned and I saw f- three people. The first one, Petty Officer Second Class, Shannon Kent. The name is Shannon. She is my naval intelligence cryptologist, mother of two. Um, she married her husband's name was Joe. Wonderful, wonderful family. She's sitting there and she's smiling. I remember I saw, you know, you can see people smiling. I mean, you see the smile on your face, but you can see it in their eyes. Her eyes were smiling. She was so happy. She knew, I knew that she was going home when she got back to our base. She was going to call her boys and say, mama did something great today. Mama has secured this region for freedom, for posterity. Girls can go to school, electricity's on, there's health. Your mama's a hero, and she is. Uh, So I saw her smiling, and then right next to her was Chief Warrant Officer 2, John Farmer. Green Beret, Special Forces. Like I said, if John Wayne were to make a new Green Beret movie, it would be about John Farmer. This guy was just tough. Awesome. Um one of my best friends. Um he's smiling at me, but he's making a twirling finger or motion with his finger, which means hurry it up. And he's kind of bouncing from foot to foot lightly, which in um nonverbal language meant hurry up, turnbull. I've got to pee. So he had to go to the bathroom and I was like, all right, let's go. But right between them was another individual, and it was the suicide bomber, and I saw his face. You know, the smug smile, hands above his head. And before I was able to get a shot off to immobilize him, um, as we're trained to do to prevent him from blowing himself up, he was able to detonate his device, blowing it up, killing John and Shannon instantly right then and there. Uh, in that explosion, uh, Gadir here, also known as Jasmine, she was killed, my linguist. And then the one person that you can't kill because they're Navy SEALs, and they're awesome, was also killed, Mr. Scott Wirtz. Real bad day for the United States, because four wonderful Americans were killed. Um, Just a horrible moment Uh, in the explosion that killed the four Americans. 19 Syrians were killed. Many of them were children. Myself and two of my other soldiers were injured, uh, gravely, critically. But... um, but the story doesn't end there. It get, you know, the light side. What happens? Ambulances show up. Where did those come from? Well, those are the ambulances we provided. So we got as many of the wounded into these ambulances, stuffing them full, and myself included. Uh, and where would we go? The hospital, of course, because that's where you go. You, ambulances go, hospital. So into the operating room in the ER where they had all the equipment that we'd provided earlier. So, I mean, how fortuitous that, you know, like the stuff that we were working to promote in this area, where now we were able to use them to save myself, my two soldiers, and many Syrian children. So they started to work on me. Um, I had my right eye. Uh, you can see the, the bandages over it. Um, right eye was completely removed. Uh, I had multiple puncture wounds into my, my chest, my abdomen. Um, they patched me up. At that same time as that explosion, my boss... Um, we're gonna refer to him as Colonel Jeff was flying overhead in the helicopter, returning to his base in Iraq from Turkey and he heard the call. the worst call every commander wants to every uh, every commander does not want to ever hear troops in contact, multiple casualties. so he gets on the ground and rather than uh, wait around at all, he runs to the hospital because where are you going to take injured people the hospital. So he runs there runs through the hospital, the ER, because he knows where that is. I've shown him multiple times. He finds me and he finds my two soldiers. They package us up, you know, put us on stretchers and start to carry us out, much to the protests of the doctors there saying that, you know, they, they'd they grown to love us. They're like, yes, we know they're Americans, but they're also, they're now, you know, honorable Syrians. They fought for us. We'll fix them up. My boss is like, nope, they're going back to America. So, Thankfully, we were able to leave the third world country hospital. Um, not saying it was bad. So, did you know what was going on at this point? I, I kind of knew what was going on, um, but it's all flashes. Uh, I had pretty significant uh, post blast amnesia. So, uh, and then when they saw how bad I was, uh, you know, my eyes being gone, my face was mostly removed. Uh, I was on some pretty heavy drugs. So it was very, once again, it was flashes. I remember little tiny things, like we flew to a hospital again inside Syria and they were wheeling me down this hospital to the hospital to get me checked out. And I remember somebody jumped on my my stretcher next to me and they grabbed my hand. And this person was, um, his name is Major Roland Griffith. Um, He was my company commander in Syria. So he was the one guy that was over top of me. And I remember him telling me, John, hang in there, man. Hang in there, my dude. We'll get through this. You're okay. You know, and so I, I remember little snippets like that. Um I remember going to there, then that doctor at this hospital said, Nope. There's no way Turnbull will survive if he stays here. We need to get him to an up updated, upgraded hospital. So they put me on an airplane, flight evacuation, Medevac to Baghdad, Iraq, where one of the worst things happened. Uh, My heart stopped beating and I stopped breathing, which doctors tell me those are pretty important. Um, A young medic on the flight started doing CPR on me and did CPR the entire flight. And I have to tell you, the flight was four hours long. So that's crazy. Uh, One, that person had the stamina to do it, but if they wouldn't have, I would have died. I mean, I did legally die there, but I would have died and stayed dead. Uh, He brought me back got my heart beating, got my respirations back. So I was breathing on my own. My heart was beating on its own when we landed in Baghdad. Uh, I had a few surgeries done in Baghdad. Then they packaged me up, sent me to Germany. In Germany, um, I was able to meet my beautiful wife. Uh, my parents came to Germany. Uh, a few of our teammates came to Germany. And then we were able to be shipped to back to the United States. Um, since then, I spent two years at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, right outside of Washington, D.C. I had 22 life-saving surgeries. Uh, There were, besides the one time where my heart stopped on the flight over, my heart stopped beating two other times and I stopped breathing. Um, The other two times while I was on the operating table. So through this whole journey, 22 surgeries over two years, I've died, but I got better. (laughs) I knew you were worried about that. Um, But I died three times. But the story doesn't end with that. While I was in the hospital, I needed a purpose. I was a soldier. I needed a mission. I needed something to do. And I found it in talking with the families of the departed. So my four teammates that were killed, um, John, Shannon, Scott, and Gadir, I reached out to all their families. And I was like, I want to talk. I want to, you know, help you guys get through this. I want to get through it. You know, it's therapeutic for me, therapeutic for you guys. So I was doing all this. I wrote many letters to them to tell them, like, let's not focus on the negative. Let's not be negative. Let's be positive. Rather than focus on how they died, let me tell you how they lived. Let me tell you the funny things that I remember, the craziness that we did, um, the good. Let's focus on the good of this deployment. So, you know, I mentioned those three things I mentioned to you about the electricity, the health and the schools, but I also was able to tell them simple things. Um, for example, one of the times we were talking about IEDs on the road and it was dangerous to ride on the road. Uh, so we were getting ready to go into a building where we thought they were being made. And our cult, my cultural advisor, Jasmine, was like, hey, when we go in there, make sure you take EOD, that stands for Explosive Ordnance Disposal, the guys that deal with bombs, take them with you because you never know. The building might be booby trapped. And I'm 33 years old at the time. I'm still a kid. So I was like, everybody stop. Did everybody hear that? Everybody just hear Jasmine. She said booby. And she slapped me across the back and said, John, grow up. So silly things like that. Um, you know, I was able to tell her mom, I was like, hey, this is this is the, the Gadir. This is the Jasmine that I knew. Um, young woman where when she's like, she didn't feel safe at one point. She asked, she's like, can you teach me how to fight with my fists and how to fight with a knife? I was like, yes, ma'am. And then we went to a blacksmith and had a knife made for her that she would carry to protect herself if she needed it. So I say all these things, wonderful things. I was able to take, put all these letters together and um, and my the Navy SEAL, Scott Wartz, his mom, Sandy, she's, I call her mom, Mama Sandy, Nana Sandy now. Um, she, in joking, trying to get over the you know loss of her son, was like, John, with your Navy SEAL on your team gone, who's going to write the book? That's a funny joke because Navy SEALs are known for writing, you know, their are penmanship, I guess. Um, they write books and they do movies. But uh, <laughs> so I was like, I don't know, Mama Sandy. She's like, let's put together the stories and let's publish it. That way the world can see the side of war that they don't see. They don't see this humanitarian side of war where we're focused on the people, but also so that way they can see our children. They can see my Scotty, how he was. And it answers a question that Jasmine's mom asked me, why? Why did my daughter die? What was she doing that would make somebody want to kill her? And you know, that you can't answer that like, on the spot it was difficult and john farmer was also killed his youngest daughter um she i remember sitting on my lap one day after daddy's internment and she asked me dad john uncle john why did my daddy have to die and he's like can he ever come home again since you're his boss you tell if you tell him to come home he can come home so you should order him to and I'm like i you know i don't know how to answer this so we we got to work um and we put together, you know, put words on pages, all true, got it approved by the Pentagon, the Office of Pre-Publication and Security Review. And we were able to publish a book. The book is called Zero Percent Chance, a tribute to the heroes of cross-functional Team Manbij, a soldier's memoirs, written and authored by John, Major John Turnbull and his wife, Samantha Turnbull. Because the first half of the book is everything that we've talked about to this point. The second half, is the good stuff, you know, meeting these guys, going and spending time with them. Um, the condolences from amazing people, uh, from uh, President Trump coming and visiting with us in the hospital to uh, uh, Governor Whitmer actually called my parents on the day after the explosion. And my that interesting because my dad works for the state um, in the Department of Corrections. He said that he got a phone number from the state of Michigan, so he answered it and it's like, Mr. Tremble, I want to offer you our condolences. And he said, okay, who is this? He's like, this is Gretchen Whitmer. He's like, I'm sorry, who's that? (laughs) And so it was funny for him being a state employee, not recognizing his governor. But uh, so we had all these great things. Uh, In addition to that, my wife and I, we've had two children. Uh, We had a little boy. His birthday or his due date was actually the second anniversary I turned to look at her second yeah second anniversary of the explosion January 16th 2021 he was supposed to have been born ironic I don't think so I think everything happens for a reason um but we decided what were are we gonna call him because this is such a tough time not just for us but for these families we decided we called him Scotty John after Scott Wertz and John Farmer uh and for all the negative things that happened from the explosion, losing my eyesight, um, and everything that's happened since, the day he was born, he was born not on january 16th. He hung on a little longer. Um, maybe he liked being warm. But uh, <laughs> February 2nd, he was born. I remember probably the most amazing thing was calling Nana Sandy, calling my mama Sandy, uh, Sandy Wirtz on the phone. I was like, Sandy. Let's FaceTime. I've got to show you something. <laughs> and she so we facetimed and you know, my wife looking as beautiful as always, like all women do after having a baby. She's like, "Ah! No." But, put yeah, that away. put that away. Uh, but I was like, "Nope, that's not I'm not showing her you, Sam. Let me show her little Scotty." And the scream that came from Sandy Wirtz's mouth was so precious. Um
0: what an amazing way broke
1: up. down in tears as she said, you put a band-aid on something that cannot be healed. She's like, We're on the road to healing and recovery through our through our stages of grief. She's like, this is the first time that I've been happy since my son was killed. And since we've maintained contact, but that's what it's been about ever since is the the few moments, those the smiles, the laughter, the tears as well. Uh oh. And uh, so Scotty John was born um, seven months ago. We had one more baby. We were done with Scotty John. We were, we were done with Scotty. No more kids. All right. My wife was having some tummy issues and went to the doctor and we were, were fearing the worst. Cancer or something along those lines. When the doctor comes in, it's like, so you want me to tell you if it's a boy or a girl? And we're like, excuse me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Another blessing.
1: <laughs> Another blessing, 100% along the way. Um, even when she cries at three o'clock in the morning, she's a blessing. <laughs> um, but we, so we had her three or seven months ago. Her name's Ellie Renee. Ellie, my family's Scottish. Uh, Ellie is Scottish for a ray of sunshine or a light in the dark. So being totally blind from the explosion, everything's always dark. Having that ray of light, the sun, I mean, here in the Veterans Park, uh, I believe there's there should be an eternal flame yeah. going because... What cuts through the dark, what cuts through, you know, evil and, you know, the bad times, which is like the dark is a metaphor for, mm-hmm. but a flame, a light, and we're to be, a, you know, flame in the dark. So Ellie, uh, light in the darkness, but we've maintained our communication with the families. Uh, you know, when Scotty does something crazy, like gets out of his bath and runs into the living room and pees on the floor mm-hmm. and then goes, uh-oh, points at and says, bad dog, blaming our dog. <laughs> uh you know we we call nana sandy up or like nana sandy little scotty just did this and to hear just just that hear the laughter like oh that's he's so adorable that's that's what it's about and that's what we're um we're working on now i mean we're still we'll never you know you'll never heal those wounds um thing i mean your soldiers bring back all soldiers bring back you know wounds from war uh, whether physical or emotional the trauma the stress emotional um Within their soul, spiritually, these things will stay with them forever, and that's what you know. We can, as Americans, we can help that um, by, you know, focusing on every time something negative comes up. Remember two things positive to overpower that negative. Uh, you know, and always when you talk with people like that, you know, tell me the good things. Like there, there are always good things. Tell me what you did over there. Tell me how you helped. How did you defend freedom, promote the American way of life, and it's beautiful. So we love that.
0: I have had the chills. My eyes have been watering. I wiped my eyes. I just absolutely incredible to hear that story, Jonathan. I mean, you lost your best friends. You lost your vision. But what would you say that you gained that day?
1: So definitely gained a deeper understanding of what true love is. Um, I mean, the Bible mentions, you know, there's no greater love than, that I will sacrifice for his friends, for his brothers, and the love of them, plus gaining their families as a family of my own. Yeah. Um I love it. I couldn't, I I couldn't have done survived this long um without having them, you know, without having, you know, Nana Sandy to call up and just say, Hey, without having John's widow to call up and say, Hey, how are you doing? What can I do to help? Um his daughter just turned 16. What do 16-year-old girls need? A car. Things like that. Um, so I love it. Like, hey, what how can we help? Um, you know, I may have been knocked down, but I'm not out. I'm still in the fight. You know, I'll stand up, I'll face it head on, and we'll make it happen. Uh so that so I, I do say, like to say that I lost my eyesight. ISIS took my eyesight away from me, but I now have vision. Um, I see how we can help the world, make the world a better place. You know, you start locally, you start here. Start with one life. If I can, you know, have one person laugh and forget a negative situation that they're in or, you know, their depression, their, you know, the bad things, everybody goes through something bad. I know mine is just an extreme story and I pray nobody else ever has to go through this. Uh, But everybody goes through something. Um, I talk with a lot of kids and I say, you know, even when, you know, you do bet on a test, my 10-year-old son, you fail a test, what does it tell you? You've got to try harder. You know, you get back up and you get to work. Um, Somebody is having a bad day uh, with COVID, all the stuff that we've had, lockdowns and um, all the people that we've lost and we continue to lose. It's very sad. But how do we turn that around? Something as simple as, excuse me, as positivity, grabbing somebody and being like, you know, sad and bummed. Let's go grab something to eat. Food always makes me happy, especially yeah. donuts. Let's go grab some donuts oh, or yeah. donuts and coffee. You know, my kind of guy puts a smile on their face, um, you know, helping go to if no matter how bad things get in this world, uh, you know, it's my mom always told me happiness is a choice. Mm-hmm. Be happy, Um, you know, find what makes you happy, pursue it and, you know, help others along the way, too. And that's, that's what it's about. So I think that, you know, it's all been put into perspective for me. And perspective is fun. Um, I learned most about perspective, if I can give you a corny joke. Um, oh. While at Walter Reed, a gentleman told us he was a uh, double limb amputee. He lost his left arm and his left leg. I remember him being like, life is all about perspective. He's like, I lost my left side. So what? Now I'm all right. <laughs> it's all about perspective, you know, smiling at difficult during difficult times and putting a smile behind everything. That's what life is.
0: And the perspective that you have and continue to share and inspire others with is just absolutely incredible, John. I mean, you are a, a hero, someone to look up to. What is it like for you to be able to inspire others or for other people to say you're an inspiration
1: to me, Jonathan? It gives me a sense of purpose. And I, lo- I love to hear it. I mean, gratefulness, I mean, it's, it's easy to be grateful. I and mean, we're grateful for so many things. Um, and it's easy to be kind of overlooked so many things we have. Um, through my eight deployments over the last 15 years, I learned to be grateful for little things. Running water and a toilet that flushes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's you know, I say it tongue-in-cheek, but it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And you don't know what you have until you don't have it, uh, so to speak. But... The thing that I love most about when people come up, uh, I spoke at our middle school in Gaylord Middle School last year for uh, Memorial Day or for Veterans Day. It was one of them. One of the times we got to honor our veterans. I believe it was Veterans Day. I told the kids, when you see a veteran, you know, going up to them and telling them thank you for their service, so important. I'm like, you can shake their hands and that's really cool. I was like, but there's something else you can do. It's like, let me teach you how to salute. So I taught them, I was like, you know, Make a straight hand with your right hand, straight fingers all together, and touch your right eyeball with it. And that's a salute. And, like that, the soldiers, veterans will understand that. And I love it. So, I love that responsibility. And the kids, they love it. And now that I can't see it, it makes it very interesting when they walk up to me and salute me because I don't know what they're doing um, until my wife tells me or they, like, we're saluting you. And then I, I'm like, all right, Roger, I'll salute you back. Uh, but it's all about, uh, kind of ties in with our Memorial Day, if I can speak to that. Please. Is that? So being being worth it, like everything that I've gone through, um, everything that our families go through is, I will tell you up front, it's absolutely worth it. I would do it over again in a heartbeat to defend freedom, promote the American way of life. Uh, I mean, it's in the Army warrior ethos. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. I'll never leave a fallen comrade. Um, Very important. Always maintain myself, my arms, and my equipment. And all the recruiters are going to listen to this and be like, that's not how it goes. I'm paraphrasing. Um, (laughs) And if you have a problem with it, give me a call. Or beat me up. Um, We'll have a push-up competition.
0: There we go. But
1: but it's it's beautiful. Um, But I would do it because America is worth it. And I encourage people when on Memorial Day, Memorial Day isn't about the living. Memorial Day is about those that have sacrificed, made the ultimate sacrifice. It's about the dead, those that have died, fighting for America, fighting for those things that I've mentioned, freedom, justice, liberty, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all the things that we love here in the United States. Um, so being about honoring the dead, I mean, I always encourage everybody, you know, when you're at your barbecue, you know, pour a little bit out, pour of your beer, a little bit of your beer, a little bit of your whiskey, because this is America, uh, whiskey. Uh, or your kool-aid um, out for the fallen make that you know that have sacrificed so much so we can have so much um, you know it's a little sacrifice and that's what it is you know honoring them but more than that there is something you can do. find a family member either from a, a fallen soldier or you know expand it I want to encourage everybody to expand it so much more than just the military. Uh, look at our first responders the people that are on the front lines. Defending freedom, promoting justice here in the United States of America today. I mean, we're sitting in a park in downtown Flint, Michigan. If it weren't for our law enforcement, we probably wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> so they keep us safe. The you know paramedics, they keep us safe. You always know they're there. You dial the 911 and they're there. So remember them. But many of them are killed on the line of duty as well. So if you know of any of them, or our veterans are getting as they get old, um, and they pass away, their families don't know how to respond with it. So find these families. Um, I've got four individuals I know very specifically, my four teammates that I lost. That I go to them, and I want to do something that makes their sacrifice worth it. I want to be worth it. So I encourage Americans: be worth it. You know, find a way to do that. Like Memorial Day, you know, while you know it's a Fun day. We like to think, you know, baseball games in the backyard, burgers on the grill, some ice cold beer. It's a great day for many Americans, but there are thousands of family members out there that their families have died. It's not a great day for them. If they can get out of bed on that day, it's a win. Um, I know one lady, she can't even get out of bed. She stays in bed all day and cries because she lost her husband. Uh, So it takes an act from another person, random act of kindness. Hey, let's get up. Let's, you know, have some breakfast. Have some coffee. Let's drink a lot of whiskey. I don't encourage drinking, but um, you know, let's let's turn your frown upside down. What makes you happy? Let's get the kids out and watch them play soccer. Let's throw baseball around in the front yard. Take their mind off of the sadness. Let's tell good stories. Let's tell the funny stories. Let me tell you about how your daughter slapped me because I said she said the word booby or uh, something along those lines. So I encourage Americans. America is worth it, but it's only worth it because we make it worth it. So as an American, go out there and be worth it. Make America great.
0: And with that, I would love to hear some of the stories with you and your buddies about how they lived. Maybe some of the positive stories to come out of your service. Maybe some memories that really make you smile, really make you laugh. Some stories that you just love sharing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of my most favorite to share was uh, when we went to the we went to the hospital one day. Uh, we were escorting the commanding general of the British forces, uh, their expeditionary forces, over the uh, in Syria. We were, we were driving him around. We got a phone call. and It was that bad phone call. Troops in contact, multiple troops injured, but it were they weren't coalition. They weren't Americans. They were Syrians, but. The Syrians, they were our partners. We trained with them. We shot with them. We ate with them. We did everything with them. So there were multiple soldiers kill, or killed. Some of them were wounded. We just finished building this brand new hospital. They had ambulances. This is great. So I was like, all right, General. Um, his name was Pond, like the water. I was like, General Pond, we're going to the hospital. I want to show you the hospital first. And second, if there's wounded soldiers, they're going to show up there and we can help. put my medics in on it our medics are like they're not doctors but they're very well trained we'll put our medics on it we can call and support supplies all this stuff so we roll in um i remember getting out of the, the vehicle and jasmine she was always one of the first people inside the building so she'd go in and she'd warn them the americans are coming uh that way they were all excited and they'd come out and they'd hug us and give us high fives and shake our hands we walked in and it was not the situation we had thought there were people were screaming and crying. There was blood on the floors. It was, it was a bad day. Um, So I asked the, I asked Jasmine to ask the doctor that was there with us. I was like, her name was Mona. I was like, Mona, what's going on? What happened? And what can I do? Like, I'm here. We're going to fix whatever's going on. She's like, come with me. So we walk into a back room of the hospital and it was, There was, on the left side, left side was the operating room for the ER and they're busy in there working on somebody. So we sent our medics in there. Um, The right side was an empty room. We walked in there and I was like, all right, it's an empty room. She's like, I know, this is the problem. Like, what's going on? Please tell me. So talking through Jasmine, she explained how they, they only had one, enough supplies for one operating room and there was the explosion. An ID went off and it killed a bunch of Syrians. Uh, one soldier was alive. They brought him to the hospital, but there were already people, they were doing a surgery in the operating room for the emergency room. So they, that soldier who was wounded gravely had to sit and wait because they didn't have a second operating room because they didn't have supplies, they didn't have the beds, the ER mach- machines, the x-rays, the, they didn't have the, the works. Mm-hmm. as she said, because we couldn't, we didn't have the supplies, we didn't have the room available. He died. Like that's his blood you saw out there when you walked in. The people that are screaming, the older one, that's his mother. And I mean, it's a really, really sad day because even though not American, they're still our brothers. I mean, we were, we fought side by side. I would be in a foxhole with them. You know, I trusted them with my life. So it's sad. So I explained this all to. General Pond, the, you know, this general that's in charge of British troops. I was like, hey, because they didn't have the supplies, this all this, it's bad. So he ordered me right then and there. He's like, get me a pen and paper right now. I'm like, yes, general. So I gave him pen and paper. He wrote out a note and he gave it to Jasmine. He's like, translate this. Not like five minutes, translate this now. Very commanding presence. Good guy. And we're like, all right, what's going on? He's like, follow me, Turnbull. You're, I was captain at the time. He's like, follow me, captain. I'm going to show you what real leadership is like. He didn't say that. He demonstrated it. He went to that woman, the grieving mother. And I remember him, this big uh, British guy, just picked her up, bear hugged her, and just started like petting her hair. And was like, it's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it's, it's okay. It's going to be okay. He gave her the letter. He wrote her a letter. And later, Jasmine told me about the letter. He said, in that letter, he said, I'm sorry for your loss. It's unacceptable, whether Syrian, American, British, French. They're all fighters, defenders of freedom. It's all a travesty. When one dies, it's horrible. He's like, and I'm not gonna let see this happen again. So he, he vowed to her that that operating room that was empty and vacant would be filled with life-saving equipment. He paid for it out of his own pocket. Um, he, he bought all the equipment, bought all the stuff and had it uh, brought in, imported. So amazing individual. So that was just one story. And that was one of my more favorite stories of um, working with Jasmine. The One other story I'll tell you, another funny one. In Syria, their toilets are just a hole in the ground and the hole in the ground goes to pipes that goes to a holding cell. That's kind of like our septic systems here. So you just squat over a hole in the ground and do your business. Well, it's, it's hard to do that when you have snakes in that septic that crawl up those things that can bite you in the booty. If I can use the word booty, you sure um, can. But yeah, bad day. Things that nightmares are made of. Um, so we found out about it and I wrote about it in the story, and I told it a lot better in the book. But um, I always remember being because we were asking him like, "Do you? Ha- are there any problems? Are, are we in danger here?" And they're like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Wait, that's not that's not a good thing to say." Okay, danger. And, you know, so I like, keyed my mic, and I was like, "All right, guys." We have possible ISIS on this premises. Um, I'm going to investigate further. You know, guns, you know, keep your guns handy, ready to go if we need it. Um, Keep your safeties on, but be prepared. If you hear a loud noise, a bang or anything like that, and you don't hear from me, come in and get me out of here because I'm important. Um, But Jasmine hadn't translated that there was a snake problem, just that there was a problem. And then the nurse told us, we trapped it. You trapped an ISIS guy oh, fighter in the bathroom. Like, you trapped one in the bathroom. Like, that's one, well, that's awesome. Because you know where they're going? Nowhere. Where are you going? Nowhere. Um, Boondok Satan's quote, by the way. Um <laughs> But so I was like, all right. So I keep my mic again. I was like, all right, guys, possible ISIS fighter has been trapped in the women's bathroom here. And their bathrooms are just one stalls. You lock the door from the outside, inside, what have you. So we go up to the bathroom and like, you know, I screw this presser on my pistol because we're getting ready to get to work. You know, America's here. Watch us move. Um, and the nurse is like, no, 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 we don't want the men to go anywhere near our bathrooms because it's cultural as bad. Memnu is prohibited. We're like, all right. We're like, Jasmine, yep. For some fun. And we'd trained her before this. We trained her how to shoot. We trained her how to be safe and protect herself. She was good. She's like, all right, I'm in. So. my Navy SEAL on the team handed him her pistol or handed her his pistol, excuse me, and she stands outside the door. The lady sticks in the the key because the door is locked, remember? Jasmine takes a good weaver stance, so feet shoulder-width apart, gun out in front of her, pointed straight ahead at the door. Um, The lady opens the door. Door swings open. Jasmine takes a shot. When she takes that shot, I grab her, drag her to the ground, and I go to turn to... Finish the the threat to make sure the threat's down. Um, that way she doesn't get hurt. Nobody else, none of the nurses get hurt. Uh, just at that time, I saw what it was. There was a snake that had climbed up the wall, and his head was hanging down by the the door, doing the tongue thing. You know, sticking his tongue out. And she <laughs> shot it. And this girl, let me tell you, let me tell you, I mean, about how good her shooting is because we trained her. So I'm telling you about how awesome I am. <laughs> um. She shot him straight through the head. Quack. Boom. Hi, girl. And oh, she she took care of that threat, but it's the grossest thing I've ever seen because that snake, which was about I don't know, I didn't we didn't measure it, it's about ten to fifteen feet long, dropped kerthwack, right on the ground. At which point is just kind of I get I right now I have like bile rising in my throat. Just yeah. thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Ew. Um, let me tell you about what I didn't do it, uh, there again, was use any of those bathrooms ever again.
0: Yeah, that was it. But
1: I loved it. And these are such important
0: stories to share, you know, around Memorial Day and every day. Absolutely. It's so important that we remember them always. And I could listen to you tell these stories for hours on end, Jonathan. We'd happy to donut. donuts. <laughs> donuts and coffee, deal. Sorry. My last question for you, and this is my favorite question, because while it is a beautiful, sunny day here, at McFarland Veterans Memorial Park here in Flint. Some days are pretty cloudy, but I think that even on those cloudy days, we can all share a little sunshine. So I would love for you to just share some sunshine to end on. Maybe your favorite quote or words you live by, you've shared so much sunshine this last hour, but just one final way.
1: Most important thing, I think, and I've I've already talked about it, positivity. Being positive um, in the world, as I mentioned, you can't wait for things to not be hard. To be happy. And, you know, we we say it's it's just a phrase. I mean, happiness, just a word. How do you be happy? Um, And I also mentioned my mom always told me happiness is a choice, Jonathan. Like you can choose to be grumpy and sullen or you can be happy. Well, I never really figured out a way until the explosion, never found out how to be, you know, quote unquote happy, how to be yay, bubbly or what have you. And I've learned since just the power of positivity when I talk about. My family, that my teammates that were lost, like I mean the stories you mentioned. Um, you know, I told the one story I told about how they all were killed, um, but then I told you three or four stories about how they lived, fun things we did, um, talking about their family. So turn that you know, throw positivity over top of the negativity, and that's one way. Uh, keeping a uh, positivity journal is a great way for people to stay happy. Uh, you know, when things get you down, life. Life sucks. I mean, life is hard and there are many hard times through it. Best thing you can do is just, you know, push through. You know, see it as a challenge, challenge accepted. How good can I do on this? Like, I'm going to not just accomplish this challenge. I'm going to supersede it. I'm going to not only be happy myself, I'm going to make somebody else happy. Smiles are contagious. Um, If you don't believe me, find some random person and smile. Or yawn, because if you yawn, they'll yawn too. But um, <laughs> but a smile. If you smile at somebody and genuinely tell them, "Good morning, how are you?" and you listen to how they are, the person will smile. I mean, I bet you more than nine times out of ten they will smile back. And people are grateful. People look for that. We look. We need hope in our lives. We need this. You know, hope that life is better. Life is not all bad. There's some good in this world, um, you know. Beautiful sunny day, you know. I live up in Gaylord, Michigan, and it snowed two weeks ago in May.
0: It sure did. And I was
1: like, really? <laughs> they, they were talking about having a snow day, and I was like, if they, I told my wife, I was like, if they have a snow day in May, we're moving. It's amazing
0: in northern Michigan Again. how you can have a snow day and then field day,
1: and then a field day. Yep, and, and then know, it was eighty morning. degrees. Yeah. I, I was a local um, elected official. I'm a county commissioner one of my jobs is I pray before all of our board of commissioner meetings. And remember one of the days, one of the guys was like, can you pray for the weather? And I'm like, yep. I just remember being like, thank you, Lord, for our two days of summer we had this year. And can't wait for the next summer to come around. And I'm like, that's Michigan. It's 80 degrees. And I give it a couple of days. It might snow. Right. But uh, on those cold, dreary days, when, to reference Groundhog's Day with uh, Bill Murray, uh you know, it might be dreary, might be repeating life and things are overcast. It gets better. I mean, look for the better. Look for this rays of sunshine. Um and worst comes to worst, act. I always encourage action produces, you know, you produces something. Um and something simple like like approaching somebody and telling them you hope they have a good day, smiling, that action like I said, it's contagious. And positivity is, you know, helping somebody up. Hey, do you need help? Let me help you with this. You know, holding the door open for somebody or things like that makes somebody's life a little bit better and it catches on very quickly. So with that, I will leave you with our my unit's motto. Um, and if you want to quote Lion King, you can ask, what's the motto? And I can say, what's the motto with you? Um, <laughs> Great movie. But, <laughs> yes. Love it. But our motto is acta non verba um, in Latin, which is actions, not words. So just saying that, I encourage everybody, you know, for Memorial Day, you know, actions, not words. Do something to be worth it. Be worth, you know, the sacrifice of all of our um, amazing soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines that have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Get out there, talk with the families, give them something to laugh at. Find a good joke. If you need a good joke, I would say ask me. I've got the worst ones. Uh, worst
0: ones are the best ones. The
1: worst ones are the best ones.
0: Major Jonathan Turnbull, thank you so much for coming on We're Off Script.
1: Thank you. God bless you.